privilege, responsibility that I have. If you're new to our fellowship, if you're a visitor here today, I've been on a series called The Word of Faith. And we're going to open today by reading of six verses of Scripture. Reading of these six verses of Scripture, we're going to find these in three different epistles, all from the pen of the Apostle Paul. Three of which we're very familiar with because I have either read them or referenced them in either the entirety of this sermon series. I don't like to call it a sermon series because it's, it's, it's actually just a, a journey of faith, if you will. And, uh, but let's go there, Romans chapter number 10. When you found it, one thing, if you're new to our fellowship, that we do is that we have the tradition of standing, of reading our opening text of Scripture. Now, again, I've been known to read 40 verses <laughs> to open, but not today. Romans chapter number 10, six verses. We're going to read one verse in the 10th chapter. You should be familiar with this. So if you find it, won't you stand in honor of the reading of Scripture here with me today? If you don't have a Bible, there's one provided for you on the screen. Here it says, but what saith it? That's a good question, isn't it? What saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith. I love the way that that is, is written by the apostle. The word of faith, which we preach. I hope we preach that which develops or draws forth faith in your heart and life. Amen? The word of faith. Now we go to Romans 15 and 4. Many of you have become familiar with this verse of Scripture. For whatsoever things were written aforetime. Paul, the apostle is looking back. So we're looking back to about 2,000 years from the time that the Apostle Paul wrote this. Now, you, Paul, the Apostle is looking back hundreds of years. For whatsoever things are written aforetime were written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Amen? Now let's continue. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. This has been one of the texts of Scripture that you have uh, hopefully grown just a little bit familiar with it's also it's kind of saying almost the same thing to a different people group but this one is is a little bit narrower because I don't for the sake of time I'm not reading verses 1 through 10 but you can glance at that and see that it's a particular time frame a particular experiences that he's alluding to now all these things he's looking back happened unto them for King James English in samples and they are written for what for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. That's powerful, isn't it? The ends of the world. So if you perceive that we're living in the latter days of the latter days, then you ought to be moved by these things. Amen? So now let's turn to 2 Corinthians. Up until this time, there's been a familiarity. Now there's probably a little bit of a shift, something that's not quite as familiar to us here. Where it says in the 17th verse of the 6th, chapter wherefore come out from among them so he's quoting from isaiah the apostle once again is looking back wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate saith the lord and touch not the unclean thing and i will receive you i will be a father unto you and ye shall be my sons and daughters saith the lord almighty that's powerful isn't it Powerful exhortation, again, quoting from the prophet Isaiah, the apostle is. But let's read this, this next verse in context to what we have previously read. Having, therefore, these promises. 
Dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Wow. Come on, somebody. Amen. So along this journey here, I've tried to, sometimes us preachers try to be a little creative if we can with titles. Now, I'm not the most creative person. I don't need anybody to give witness to that right now. It'd be a bad time. But it's true. I'm not the most creative of people. And along the way, though, I have chosen just one word um, as the word of faith. Now, sometimes it's not. It's been an entire theme. But today, there is the word of faith for us here today. The word of faith on this day, it's not Thanksgiving today. It's holiness. It's holiness. I want to talk to you about almost a forgotten doctrine in the body of Christ. And I want it to go more if we can, I want it to be more than just something that you could Google search and you could find certain denominations, doctrinal belief about holiness. I want it to be, first of all, a revelation of God's holiness and of God's expectation for you until it becomes a part of your faith. It's the word of faith today. Let's pray over it. Let's believe God for it. Father, I thank you today. I feel honored to be in this house. I feel humbled to be amongst this church family today. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity that I've had to study and meditate upon your word the course of this week. That my mind, my thoughts, could be drawn to this subject. And in doing so, I've felt that my own heart either condemn me or convict me for my own carnal lifestyle at times. Now, it's drawn me to a place of coming face to face the need to repent, and, but to do more than just profess repentance, but to bring forth the fruit of repentance. And today, I, I bring that same conviction to this sermon today. And I pray, Lord, that there'll be a, a quickening of the Holy Spirit in this room. And this, almost if we will, antiquated doctrine to some will be as relevant as any sermon they've ever heard before. Today, Lord, the word of faith, we ask you to bless it. It's holiness in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, amen and amen. And you can be seated in the Lord's house today. God bless you, and I appreciate so much that you have chosen to worship the Lord with us. I want to say it one more time today. It's my privileged opportunity to share with you the word of faith and to minister and to be very transparent. I was asked earlier, just a few moments ago, about the course of this week, and I said, actually, it doesn't always happen. What a beautiful, thank you, Vanessa, <laughs> or Vanna, not Vanessa, Vanna, Vanna, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> That's funny, I don't care where you're from, even if I messed it up. <laughs> even funnier. <laughs> Almost, thank you. I can't be as humorous as you, Alyssa. Yeah, that's right. I'm, de- I'm declining, and you're, you're, you know, right there. So with that said, it's a privileged opportunity because I believe in the power of the preaching of the Word of God. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And it's a responsibility of mine to share with you. And what I've realized here in this message of this sermon series entitled The Word of Faith, that I have af- actually, it has actually morphed into something that I perhaps didn't intend for it to, but I do believe it was the direction of the Lord. It's become more of a journey of faith as we have followed the children of Israel during their wilderness journey up until this point, including their 
um, the exodus from, Israel, uh, from, from Egypt and then their journey through the wilderness up until this particular point. It's a journey that I've taken many years or for many, many times over the years of pastoring to look at. Why? Because the apostle exhorts me to in 1 Corinthians 11. These things happened unto them for examples that I'm to look very closely at these things. And so Paul's exhortation here just exhorts us as individuals and corporately and collectively to say, wait a minute, let's pause what we're doing. Let's pause what we're doing and let's look at this. So I, I was asking myself this question. I wonder, I, I started out real spiritual and I said, I wonder if Jesus was here in the flesh today, would he preach the sermon that I'm preaching? Well, that's probably a little bit too far for my mind to even, you know, kind of come to terms with. But I wonder if the apostle Paul and the apostle Peter if either of those two brothers, you know, could somehow show up on the scene and he's got a listening audience here, what would he preach to about? What, do we, what would he bring to you today? Would he bring a word of faith to you about holiness? I want you to, you, you tuck that away in the back of your mind and maybe at the end of this message, maybe you can make a conclusion on this. So last week was the church in the wilderness. That's a phrase borrowed from Acts chapter number 7. The apostle Stephen, or the, uh, who's ministering the word there, he references the children of Israel during the wilderness journey as the church in the wilderness. So the church in the wilderness became something that was not necessarily intended by the Lord to be. For later in the journey, it became a stumbling block. And what could have been just a few months journey of preparation to take the promised land became 40 years of wandering until those that stumbled in unbelief actually perished in a new generation who were charged to believe and not repeat the, the same mistakes of the previous generation would actually go into the promised land. But I made this note in my conversation with someone this week, but the wilderness was a necessary part of the journey. It was the church in the wilderness, the tabernacle itself, its uh, ability to be to be erected in the wilderness and torn down. The, it's mobility. To be able to go from point A to point. It wasn't from point A to point Z. But it, there was B and C and D. There were a lot of stops along the way. Uh, it, was a necessary, it was a necessary time to prepare the people for their entry into Canaan's land. Now I talked last week and I'll draw your attention to it. When the tabernacle was manufactured and actually dedicated to the Lord. It was consecrated by His presence. God said I will consecrate that tent by my divine presence and in essence the glory of God did set it apart the glory of God set upon it and the people had God tabernacled among them I want you to think about that for just a moment of time that the living God the creator of all things was actually tabernacled amongst the people of ancient Israel hidden behind the fabric of the tent the cloud would abide upon the tabernacle by day and fire by night. And the people, to a degree, could access the, pre the presence of God by mediation. The mediation of the priest and the sacrifice of the animal. The scripture says, and this is where we were concluding in the book of Exodus last week, that when God rested as a part of the journey, it wasn't that God grew tired, but that when he chose to rest, uh, that when God chose to rest, then the people were to rest. But when God was on the move, the people needed to be on the move. And you and I have to learn from this. I'm going back to last week. It seems like that maybe God has wanted us to pull up stakes and to begin to fold up the fabric and to begin to pursue after him. Because you can sit here around your edifices and your religion all day long. But if God's over here, 
Come on, somebody. Then all we become is a form of godliness, but we have no true power of the gospel. And so I just want to be found guilty of following the Lord. And there are times I've camped too long when I needed to be on the move. Now, doctrinally, in the midst of this journey, just for you and I to understand, Moses, at the base of Mount Sinai, has received instruction. And I've talked about this throughout this entire time. He's received instruction. And and a particular instruction, though, he begins to angle towards the priesthood that he's appointing. And this priesthood is the sons of Aaron, and it also includes what we call the Levites who are given to the sons of Aaron. They're given to aid them and helping them in their ministry of the service of the tabernacle. And if you know anything at all about the Torah, the law of Moses, and as you've studied it and you've read it, you can see a lot of things. Now, obviously, the book of Genesis is dealing with uh, the beginning and the patriarchs and the covenant of faith. But then when we pick up the book of Exodus and we follow the children of Israel out of their Egyptian bondage and we conclude it where we were at in the 40th chapter, then we find ourselves, let's leap over one book and let's go to the book of Numbers where the children of Israel were numbered in their wilderness journey. But also, the book of Numbers is following their journeys. You get to see where they camped here and where they camped there and what happened here and what happened there. And so there's a lot of events that are being described. The book of Deuteronomy is actually almost from 40 years later, and they're looking back at all the events that have taken place. But kind of sandwiched or layered right there in the middle is a book that I dare say that if you were to bring me your Bible today, and I were to open your Bible, the pages of your Bible would still be stuck together in the book of Leviticus. Oddly enough, the book of Leviticus is one of my favorite books in the Bible. And why is that? Because the book of Leviticus is actually, the, 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 the title itself is actually of the Levites. Or some, some say it's the law of the priest, that the word Leviticus means the law of the priest. To the Hebrews, they extract the actual first phrase, and he called them, and he called them. And so the, it, with it, let me just tell you a little bit about it. It's 27 chapters. But there's something unique in the book of Leviticus, and that is this. It only records one incident from chapter 1 to chapter 27. There's only one incident that actually takes place, and everything else is instructional. It's instruction towards the Levite, to the priest, and also to the people. The only thing, uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll get to this in just a little bit, is the offering of strange fire by Nadab and Abihu. That's the only thing that takes place here that they record as an actual event that occurs. The rest of the book, from chapter 1 to verse tw- chapter 27, deals with priestly ministry. It deals with uh, the Levites and the people. It deals with sacrifices. It identifies plagues or sicknesses. Did you know the priests, to a degree in the culture of ancient Israel, were the doctors of their day? Because if there were certain plagues that someone may have or an infectious disease, it was the priest that they would come to to determine whether they were eventually cleansed of that priest. Did you know there are times as a pastor I thought that we have gone way back to the Mosaic Law? Because I've had a number of people over the years come in and pull off their shoe to show me a sore on their feet. And so that I could somehow pronounce it clean or unclean. I don't know. But nonetheless, it's, there's a lot of things that happen in the book of Leviticus that you need to look at. As a di- matter, if you read about the diet, you will feel guilty before God. Because there were certain meats that could be eaten, but certain meats that could not be eaten. And I dare to say, according to the Levitical law, there's probably a lot of meats in the warming oven back here in the back that would not make it, wouldn't pass for the 
for the diet of the children of Israel during the Exodus and also later in the Promised Land. There were teachings on uh, human sexuality. And some of the things you would think, I, well, I can't even believe that they would have to have a need to talk about that. But there was a need to talk about those things. And there's a need to talk about those things today. Uh-oh. How about the cutting of the flesh or the feast of the Lord or sowing in the land and reaping in the land, bond servanthood or making vows before the Lord or resting the land or the Sabbath, which is the Sabbath is holy unto the Lord or the year of Jubilee. And even the thing that I mentioned to you earlier, tithing or giving is referenced in the book of Leviticus. And so as I sat down with pen and paper and I paused to draw my attention to where the children of Israel are, so in our journey, they're at the base of Mount Sinai, and they haven't actually yet commenced fully their journeys into the wilderness. And we may have jumped ahead just a little bit, but Moses has received divine instruction, and he gives to the Levitical priesthood primarily so that they can begin to teach the people the particular laws that are particular to this nation, the nation of Israel. They are personal, they're social, they're religious laws or instruction. But remember this, Paul said this. What did Paul say? He said, the things that were written aforetime. So the things that were written, even in the book of Leviticus, were written for your learning. So that you would take the time to study out some things and to realize that, wait just a minute, that the Word of God is living and active and that it still speaks to us today and that I could go back in what some call an antiquated document and I can see that the, the breath of God is still upon it. And I believe that if we'll look close enough, that there are some things that, that were unique to the people of ancient Israel, but they're relevant to you and I right here today. Do y'all believe that today? Now, I could give you 15 things today, but I'm going to give you five that my attention was drawn to on this journey Five things that when I was gleaning, I didn't read this week the entirety of the book of Leviticus, though I have in the past, but I did not this week. But I gleaned through it multiple times, praying, Lord, let the Holy Spirit draw my attention to some things. And that's what I want to talk to you about for just a moment. The first of which, I've got two words that are going to go up, but I'm going to separate them. First is something that my eyes were drawn to is a word, sanctify. So number one, sanctify. That's a word that you're going to see here in throughout the text of Scripture, sanctify. If you read, it kind of began in the book of Exodus, but it, uh, it is trailed through into uh, the book of Leviticus, sanctify. So just remember, what does sanctify mean? It means to set apart, to consecrate, to, to, to be distinguished from. So if you'll look back to what we were reading even last week, God had instructed the children of Israel to build the tabernacle and then the instruments, and they were to be sanctified or set apart for God's purposes. In essence, I want to think about the tent for a moment, what we call the tabernacle, what I called last week the church in the wilderness, that it was a layered fabric that had badger skins as the final layer. And it was there that it was the holy place and the most holy place. But to be honest, it was simply just a tent. And in one sense, if you might say this, it could have become a cafeteria. It could have been something that the people simply took refuge in to get out from under that bright, uh, searing heat. It could have been a school. It could have been a house that somebody, a lot of people lived in tents in those days. 
It could have been a gathering place where everybody gathered around and, and, and watched the ball game or, or, or had a fellowship meal or whatever they would choose to do, whatever. It could have been. But the moment that it was consecrated and set apart, it would be distinguished from just the natural elements that it was comprised of. It was set apart by the holy presence of God. So in this act or this process of sanctification, as I began to think about it, I thought, wait just a moment, it goes beyond the tabernacle. Did you know that God set apart the Aaronic priesthood? He set apart the Levites. He set apart the people. They were set apart. And as I meditated upon this, my eye and my thoughts were drawn to this. Sanctification is a part of my sermon on holiness seems twofold. It's first by God. Let's put these scriptures on the screen. I think it's Leviticus 20 and verse number 8. Let's read that together. And you shall keep my statues and do them. I am the Lord which sanctifies you. Right? I, I will sanctify you. And then I think verse 20, uh, chapter 21 to verse 8 may have said the same thing or very similar in the latter phrase. I'm the Lord which sanctifies you. And that's the the initiation of sanctification in the life of a believer, but also in the days of ancient Israel. And I know some of you are thinking, Pastor Brown, this is not so exciting just yet. Well, you've got to stay with me because we're going to, it's a part of your walk of, and your journey of faith. But then God told the people two separate times in the book of Leviticus this phrase right here, chapter 11, verse 44. We'll read that. For I'm the Lord your God, you shall therefore sanctify yourselves and he repeats it again in the 20th chapter and the seventh verse you say well pastor how would that be and how would that be accomplished by faithful obedience to the word or the commandment the people would sanctify themselves unto god and you so say okay here i am so where does this get applicable to you and i so it's written for our learning so let me tell you just really quickly about sanctification as we put it in context of holiness for just a moment First of all, as a believer in Christ Jesus, you are sanctified unto God through the blood of Christ. By the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. His blood alone has set you apart in Christ. If you are in Christ today by faith, then you are sanctified and set apart for God. Separated to God. Remember this. He chose you. In the act of the process of sanctification, God chose you. And in doing so, he sets you apart. But we are sanctified unto God by our faithful obedience to the revealed will of God. Whereby we are separated from. We're set apart to, but we're set apart from. I'm set apart to God, but I'm set apart from the craving desires of my flesh, including the world, the flesh, and the devil, right? So I'm set apart to, and I'm set apart from. And so sanctification is this forgotten doctrine in the Pentecostal church. Somehow or another, an important doctrine upon which this fellowship was born is somewhere today so antiquated in the minds of people that we don't know anything about it, and we dare even are afraid to even draw near it. But I'm telling you, you can't be the man or the woman that God's called you to be unless you understand a little measure of His holiness and His call that He has placed upon you. He called you out and he called you in. He had the divine right to choose you. 
But now he puts the expectation upon you that you will choose to sanctify yourself. Let's read this. You say, now, okay, Pastor Brown, you're trying to fold, you're trying to use Moses' writing to the children of Israel to the church, and that, that's just not really the way. Well, let's just see if Paul would say the same thing. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, two verses. Read it with me there together, if you would. For this is, <coughs> excuse me. Now, I don't know if you know anything about your New Testament that you have today, right there. You have 13 epistles that come to us by the man that was formerly known as Saul of Tarsus, and now you and I know him as the Apostle Paul. And that he, the Lord took him to a special place in Arabia and revealed to him the doctrine of grace. And while there, he gains instruction for the churches. And he pins, sometimes in great adversity, instruction that still carries weight and light and illumination to you and I. And the apostle said, here's the will of God for every one of you. You want to know what the will of God is for your life? That you'll live a holy life that's pleasing to God. That you will recognize that he called you to himself and by calling you unto himself, the will of God for you is to live a life that sometimes is distinctly different than what even others that you may be close to have chosen to live. He said that you would abstain from fornication. It's a part of it. Verse number four, we'll read it to complete this notion here. And that is every one of you. That means from the youngest to the teenagers typically sit on this side in this room to the senior saint among us, it is our responsibility to know how that we are to possess this vessel and to walk in sanctification and honor before God. That's our responsibility. So sanctify, one word, sanctify yourself, fold them together. It's a part of understanding holiness. Let's go farther. Y'all aren't shouting me down, but I'm preaching good. I, my eyes were drawn to this, this thought. I'll put this number two up real quickly. There has to be a difference. There must be a difference. What does that mean? Let's read these two texts. It'll go ahead and read them real quickly. Leviticus 10, verse 10. Let's read this one. And that you, ye, may put difference between holy and unholy. Mm. And between unclean and clean. Now, let me take a moment to talk to you about that. Let's read that verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 47, too, for just a moment. To make a difference between the unclean and the clean, between the beast that may be eaten and the beast that may not be eaten. So that principle, remember, well, that's written for what? Why is it written? It's not just written for the children of ancient Israel. It's written for your learning, right? But that you've got to know that in the eyes of God, and lifestyle choices that we're going to make on this side of eternity, there are some things that are clean, and there are some things that are unclean. And you got to know the difference. And you got to be able to make a difference. And when someone asks you, you got to be able to defend the difference. Let me give you an example here very quickly, especially in Leviticus chapter number 10 and why that stands out. It's in a, it would seem to be in an odd place because it's actually following. Remember I mentioned Nadab and Abihu for just a moment. Do you remember that? So Nadab and Abihu were two sons of Aaron that were given the opportunity to offer uh, incense in the holy place inside behind the veil in the tabernacle and the bible says that these two boys that they offered something that's called strange fire strange fire what does that mean it probably means this this is the assumption of most uh, biblical scholars that the fire that was to the coals that would be taken into the holy place on the golden altar upon which the incense was to be burned before the lord those coals had to come from the brazen altar that was in the outer court. 
And what the perception is or that people or, or, the, or the, the thought is is that they, they chose and they took fire that wasn't on the altar. And now you can really preach that if you choose because there's a lot of strange fire in the American church today that didn't come off of the altar. Come on, somebody. But I'm not even going to go there because then, oddly enough, the, 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 both of those men died. Fire came from the presence of this holy God and consumed them. I'm telling you, God is holy. And we ought not play with the holiness of God. That things don't matter. They matter. There is a difference. And in that same passage, listen what he did. He gave them exhortation that you better not be drinking when you come into my presence to the Levitical priest. So what it's possible is that the boys had been sipping and they, they had a blurred judgment and therefore they chose fire that didn't come from the altar and they died as a result of it. That's a pretty strong passage, isn't it? But why is it written? It's written for you and I learning that the priest had to be required to know the difference and to teach the difference. Did you know many years later, hundreds of years later, when the children of Israel were actually bound in Babylonian captivity, the prophet Ezekiel receives a prophetic word from God and said, this is a part of the reason why their captivity occurred. So we're going to put it on the screen because I want you to see it. Ezekiel chapter 22. Let's see how serious this is. Her priests have violated my law. They have profaned my holy things, and they have put no difference. Does that sound like the culture in which we live today? I'm telling you, you better know the difference. You better be able to discern and distinguish between that which is holy and which is unholy, right? And they have hid their eyes, he said, as a result. And so you and I have to know. We have to know the things that you and I can and cannot do, think how, we to how we're to live, how we're to talk, things that we can participate in, our lifestyle choices. We've got to know. You've got to know the difference. It's imperative that our behavior, our habits, our entertainment, the effect, all of this affects every part of our lives. Some things are sinful, some things are not. Some things are things that aren't necessarily sinful, but they're not necessarily helpful. And you got to know the difference. Because here's the reality. If you don't know, who does? If the culture in which we live in is dying and decaying because of their choices, and we have the answer, but we don't even know ourselves, then we're hurting the, the, the heart of God, and we're harming the people. The people have to be able to look to us and say, what are the things that God's approved? What's clean and unclean in the Lord's eyes? Are you out there today? And I want to make it pertinent just for a moment to, to us pastors and leaders, if we will. As pastors and teachers, and then even the body, you and I have to be able to know the difference. And so there are a couple of things in context of this, first of all. First of all, you can't be hypocritical. You can't be going out here, and one of the most uh, difficult subjects to address today is that of homosexuality. We have this difficult contention. And if you're going to stand up and you're going to speak and hopefully speak the truth in love, you can't be over here sleeping around in fornication or watching pornography on your phone while you're condemning the actions of others. That's a stench in the nostrils of God. And so, so we cannot be hypocritical. We've got to make sure that we know the difference but that we're walking in truth before God. And number two, though, as you teach things that you know to be true, you can't be critical or judgmental. You teach these things in love. 
You teach these things because you're moved by the power of the Spirit of God that's on the inside of you. So let me just tell you the, a, a ver, uh, three verses of Scripture that marked me as a young man. A young man. And I try to steal to this very day, even when I deal with difficult subjects. And I tell you what, if you're a pastor or a preacher in today's generation, there are a lot of difficult subjects to choose from. Right? And I do my part. Let me tell you, I, I have felt more burden in the latter few months to make sure that my sermons have a cultural context, but it's filtered in such a way that I'm taking the truth of the Scriptures and I am not taken away from the reality of the way that the truth of the Scriptures are written, but that I can pass some of this to this younger generation because I want this younger generation to have some measure of understanding of what's holiness, what's sanctification, what does that mean? How is that applicable to me today? What about things that I can and cannot do? I want the, I want the teenagers, and I, I want them to hear, and I know that they may not walk out of here and all be Bible scholars overnight, but I want them to have some measure of saying, wait just a minute, the book addresses these issues. They were written for our learning. They were written for our admonition so that I would have a worldview that is created by my worldview so that when I'm living in the world, I can say this, I, I am in the world, but I'm not of the world. I'm going to not touch the unclean thing because he said, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And what did he say? What did he say to those that are willing to come out? He said, I'll be your father and you'll be my son and you'll be my daughters. Glory to God. You won't just have a form of godliness. You won't just have a name of Christian. You won't just have a cross around your neck and a bracelet on your hand or a banner. No, you'll have faith in your heart validated by your confidence in God. Man, that's good preaching today. That's the reality. And I want the teenagers, I can't speak for all other churches, but I want the teenagers in our church to be challenged by these doctrinal things. Listen, we send them to school, and they learn things that I, I'm so ignorant of, I don't even want to try to mention them today. But we get them in church, and we got to build stick people on the stage to try to teach them something. I don't believe that. I believe we can put this truth in their heart, and they can say, you know what? That word still speaks. <laughs> Come on, listen, it speaks a better word. Come on, somebody, it does. A better word. It does. It's the word of God. What passage did the Lord write on my heart today? 2 Timothy 2, many years ago. I won't be as long on all these points because I know some of you are counting right now and saying, there's five, there are three more of these to go. And the servant of the Lord must not strive. How do you choose to live? How do you choose to interact with people? How do you choose to debate others? How do you choose to minister? Be gentle to all men. Come on, somebody. Apt to teach. And you better be patient. You got to be patient you got to leave things to God. There are things that you cannot do. The Spirit of God does what you cannot do. He goes where you cannot go. No man will even come to the Father unless he's drawn by the Spirit of God. Let's read these last two verses. In meekness, instruct those that oppose themselves. The culture is opposing. The culture is opposing itself. It's, five, it's a dog that's you know, in a circle trying to eat its own tail, bite its own tail. That's the culture in which we live today. But our responsibility is in meekness to give instruction. And if, if God peradventure will open their hearts in repentance and they can acknowledge the truth. Never apologize for the truth. Come on, somebody. Let's never apologize for speaking the truth in love. Right? To have the courage to speak the truth. Because it's the truth that sets people free. Right? They, have to, they will never be free if they don't know the truth. They will die in bondage in ignorance. Right? Or in error. One of the two. If they're not confronted by the truth. Verse number 26 
But God's going to give some repentance. And when they get repentance, they can recover themselves out of the snare of the enemy. And they were taken captive by him. That's you and our responsibility. That's extracted from the book of Leviticus where he said they got to know the difference. I love this. is maybe my favorite one. Leviticus 18. We're going to read five verses. After the doings is the phrase of this. After the doings. What in the world? It's a very pastoral sermon here today. I make notes. It's pastor, it's Thanksgiving. I'm thankful for this message. That's what I'm thankful for. I'm thankful for the privilege to be able to share it with you because it is critical that we understand that we've been called unto holiness. Can I say that to you one more time? You and I are called unto holiness. Let's read these five verses real quickly today. The priests and the Levites. The priests, the Levites, and all the tribe of Levi shall have no part nor inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the offerings of the Lord made by fire and his inheritance. Therefore, shall they have no inheritance among their brethren. The Lord is their inheritance. No, no, no. I'm sorry. I apologize. I'm going, this does not sound like what I put down here. It's because I'm in Deuteronomy 18. I should have read the screen instead of what was on my, I was going, it sounded good. It was good. I, it was good, but it just wasn't right for this right here. Now we're on the same page together. I know some of you are going, man, where's he at with that? And the Lord spoke unto Moses, speaking to the children of Israel, and saying to them, I am the Lord your God. Read the third verse. You're talking about a depth of something. Read this. After the doings of the land of Egypt where you dwelt, shall you not do? And after the doings of the land of Canaan where I'm about to bring you, you shall not do. Now, <laughs> let's pause on that for just a moment. There's a lot of depth in this. Because here's God looking at the people that he called out of Egyptian bondage, that he delivered them by the Passover lamb. Come on, somebody, by the blood of the lamb. Because if it hadn't been for that, that, that Pascal lamb having been slain, then they would have died in Egypt like the firstborn of Egypt themselves. Right? They would have died or their firstborn would have died for sure. They would still be in bondage. And so God had called them. But God says to this children of Israel that's now about to be the church in the wilderness, he said, look back to where you came and you can't live like the Egyptians. You can't live like the Egyptians, how you used to live. You can't. For those 400 years that you were there walking amongst their culture, building their edifices, building their kingdom, it mattered not the influences that were put upon you, but I called you out, and you can't live like the Egyptians. But then he didn't end right there. He said, now I'm going to take you into the land of Canaan. And there are seven nations in the land of Canaan. And they've got an entire social structure. They have religion. They have faith. They have how they live and move every day. He said, and you can't live like the Canaanites either. If you're going to be God's children and you're going to be in holiness, you've got to live how God calls you to live. You've got to be His. You are bought with the price. You are not your own. So glorify God in your body and your heart. So the children of Israel, he said, after their doings. Now, let me just touch on this just quickly, and I'll start speeding things up. Egypt represents your sin nature. For in conversion to Christ, you were delivered from your sin nature. Right? I don't know about you. When Christ, I'm a new creature. I'm a new creation. But I, don't, I can't return to living like that. Canaan represents the world, the fleshly, and the fleshly appetites. It's the lust of the flesh. Those have to be overcome. So catch that. that people were delivered from Egypt. You were delivered from your sin nature. But your fleshly appetites, you've got to overcome. 
Let me say that one more time because there's a little depth in that. So God called you out by his blood. He delivered you from that old Adamic nature. You are no longer, if you are in Christ, you are no longer a sinner. You are a saint. You're a child of the Most High God, right? Made in the likeness and the image of God. That's who you are. But you must overcome the Canaanite. And the Canaanite is your fleshly appetite. You were delivered from Egypt. You could not save yourself. You could not, of your own accord, overcome your old Adamic nature. God had to reach down and take you out like he did Israel out of Egypt. But now you have to conquer Canaan's land. you got to conquer this old fleshly appetite every day. Every day got to get up and put to death those carnal appetites. And I know you're not shouting me down because I'm preaching right, but it's the truth. It's the truth. This is a part of the gospel. You say, Pastor, if, 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 if Paul were here, would he really talk about this? Would he really say after the doings of the land of Egypt? or after the do- Let's just see. Just one verse today. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. Now, as it's on the screen, let's backtrack. The church at Ephesus, right, which is a Gentile city, a Roman city, a Grecian city, I suppose, that became a Roman colony, I suppose. With this, Paul here is ministering the word, writing, and he gives such depth in the book of Ephesians. Most pastors, that's perhaps their most favorite of all books. Doctrines that we love to share about that. The Gentiles who were afar off are now brought into this covenant family of faith. It's a great depth to it. I love it. But then he comes to this one passage here. He says, I say therefore and testify to the Lord that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Now, pause. Pause on that for just a moment of time. So here we have Moses receiving divine instruction that he gives to the Levitical priest to teach the people. And the Levitical priests are going to gather the people and he's going to say, listen, you came out of Egypt, but you can't live like the Egyptians. He said, but you're going into the Canaanites and you can't live like the Canaanites. And you're going to have to choose to obey God, right? And you say, oh, that's antiquated teaching and everything, so the apostles would never teach the same thing. Well, the apostle Paul's got this church at Ephesus that he's already ministered and written great things to. And then he says, but wait just a minute. You can't walk like the Gentiles walk. You can't live like you used to live. That when you were purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, that you are now called to be, act, and talk entirely different. And you've got to take that personal to you because that's the only way you're going to sanctify yourself. Ephesians 4, verses 18 through 32, chapter 5, all the way into chapter 6, Paul deals with those things. Have you read it? If not, why not? You need to. He will address areas of your character and conduct that you can make no excuse about. Once you become, uh, it becomes real to you, then you have no excuse. And then you have to say, God, I need your help. All right, let's go down a little bit farther. There's two more, and I'm going to close today on a very pastoral sermon that I'm grateful for the privilege opportunity to share with you. What happens, though, when we fail to overcome the Canaanite, and the Canaanite influences us? What does that mean? When you allow, and you, you allow your fleshly appetite to continue to dominate you, even in your faith. Well, to the people of ancient Israel, same chapter, Leviticus 18 at the end of this, and actually chapter 18 is the chapter where he addresses sexual 
uh, conduct, but I'm not getting into all that today, but I just want you to see it. Pause with me, teenager, you follow what I'm saying? I hope you're not ignoring me. Read it with me real quickly, the 24th verse. Although we may not read all of it down, we may pause just here about the 28th verse, but he said, defile not yourselves in any of these things. For in all these things the nations are defiled, which I cast out before you, and the land is defiled. Therefore, I do visit the iniquity thereof upon it, and the land itself is vomiting out her inhabitants. Pause right there. What, what Moses is saying as he hears from God is God is saying your act of judgment upon the, Canaan, the Canaanites is actually this. It's actually the land itself spewing out the inhabitants. But then he warns them, for all these abominations, we read down further, or let's pick it up, the 26th verse, you shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments and shall not commit any of these abominations, neither any of your own nation nor any stranger that sojourneth among you. For all these abominations have the men of the land done, which is before you, and the land is defiled. But if you don't heed the word of God, look what will happen, he said, to Israel. The land will spew you out. Just like it spewed out the Canaanites. I don't know that, man, that challenges me today. It's caused just this sermon this week, the preparation of my heart has caused me to look more intimately at my personal life than, than I have in a long time. Because I'm telling you, the world will bring its influence in in so many different ways. And the generation in which we live in today, you're the exception of a church that occasionally hears these things. There are churches that never hears these things. Never. They don't have, if you were to poll many of the churches even in our community and ask them to define holiness or sanctification or separation, they would get failing grades because they have not been confronted by this doctrinally. We are the priests like of old. We have not taught the people the difference between the clean and the unclean. But I'm telling you, as a professing Christian, you and I, if we fail to die to the flesh, and rather we sow to the flesh, let me tell you what's going to happen. Of the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. It will. And when you live like a Canaanite, you're going to suffer similar consequences because sin brings forth death. There's all, I mean, we're, we're, we're getting close. This is the latter portion of the fourth one, so stay with me for just a moment. Dinner's prepared. You don't have to go to the restaurant today. So we got it right here. So I want you to see something for just a moment. Let me say something to you. The wages of sin is still death. It's still death. And, and whether it's eternal death or whether it's just the dying and the stench of death in this life, I don't want either part of it. Come on, somebody. And so, uh, so I've been reading about Paul, but I want to ask you. So if, if Paul wasn't here and Peter was, would Peter say something that's very similar to the land itself will spew you out? Let's just remember that thought, and let's see what the apostle says. In 2 Peter chapter number 2, it's going to be on the screen. You read it there with me for a moment of time, and then I'll go to number 5, and I'll wrap this up here today, verse 18 through 22. So here he's speaking, so it's the apostle. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, much wantonness, those that were clean, escaped from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption." For of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought in bondage. You can still be brought in bondage as a believer. Are you hearing me today? Because if you sow to the flesh of the flesh, you will reap corruption. Read this. If after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, 
they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse than the beginning. Come on, church, read this with me. That's, power, that's a challenge to us, isn't it? Re let's read it. It had been better to not even have known the way. <laughs> to have known the way of righteousness, for after to have known it and to turn from the holy commandment delivered to it. And that cuts us today. I'm not through. Because here he says, using the proverb, it's happened unto them according to the true proverb. The dog is returned to his own vomit. And the sow that was washed is returned to wallowing in the mire. I'm going to make a hard statement to you today. Why is this church not filled to capacity? I've baptized, and, and along with others in the last 20 years, enough people in this baptism tank behind me so that it would be standing room only in this sanctuary today. But tragically, many that were washed have returned to wallowing in the mire because they never embraced this side of recognizing that the land itself can spew you out and you can be brought in bondage. It's a, listen, this is real. This is real. I, if I could say this as I close on the fifth point here for just a moment of time, I'm going to close with this today. It's time to stop playing around. It's just time. Church has got, we, we've become this little side entertainment. You know, we got to fill our services with a little bit of entertainment here and there because we're, we're being measured up against all this at, on the media and stuff like that. But you, that's not the true church, right? The true church is that we honor God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we live a life that's pleasing to Him, right? Every day we get up recognizing that we are not our own. He purchased us and redeemed us, and we're going to live a life that's pleasing unto God, right? And lastly today, as I conclude this message, say holiness. Pastor, you haven't really talked about it. I've talked about it in context, but now I'm going to sharpen it here. So I want you to read about three verses of Scripture with me for a moment. Here again in Leviticus. Now, for some of you, I expect a report on the book of Leviticus next week. <laughs> I want you to be studying this. But you filter it through the lens of this new covenant. Come on, somebody. And then we see it, and we see how gracious and merciful God was to give the people. If God had not given the people the Levitical law, the people could have continued in the same pattern of life that the Canaanites were in, which is a cycle of destruction. I'll just go ahead and throw it out there at you because y'all seem like the people you can handle it. The, you wouldn't think that, the, that, that Moses would have to address this. He had to tell the people, don't sleep sexually with an animal. Now, you would think that he wouldn't have to include that in the book. But what that tells you and I is that the people in the land where they were going and their sexual rights, you would think he wouldn't have to tell the people not to sleep sexually with their mother-in-law. You would Let me say that one more time. There ought to be some men. They were afraid. The men in this church were afraid to say anything right there. I saw it on their faces. 
But you, <laughs> you would think that it wouldn't have to be included in the book. There's another one in there. Let me go back to these teenagers. You wouldn't think that he wouldn't have to write, don't sleep sexually with your sister. But what that tells me is the culture where they were going, that had become an accepted practice. And Moses is saying, wait a minute, if you're God's, you got to be different. Well, church family, you and I got to be different. The hour demands it, that you and I understand that he's a holy God, and he's called us to be a holy people. Hallelujah today. I thank the Lord. In Leviticus 44 and 45, read it with me. For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. Flip it to the 45th verse, if you would. For I am the Lord God which brought you up out of the land of Egypt, and you shall be holy. For what? For I am holy. He says it again in the 19th chapter. Let me say this in closing to you about holiness. First of all, what is holiness? It means to be sacred, to set apart. I don't know if you and I have, if you've ever come into the true presence of God the first thing that you're drawn, that becomes, you become acutely aware of is this. It's not how all-powerful God is. It's how holy he is and how filthy we are. I'm a man of unclean lips dwelling in the midst of an unclean people because even my best day, come on somebody, in contrast or comparison to who he is, he's holy today. He is and he's drawing us. And I hear his voice today. I feel like this is the word. This ought to be preached in every church in America. We're crying out, hoping for revival. Revival ain't going to happen until there's a holiness work in our heart and life. And we start living a life that's pleasing to God. So let me tell you real quickly today. It's the last point, and I promise there are no more. Number five, I limited it to five. God, who is infinitely perfect and upright, is holy. He is free from moral evil, and, from, and he is totally morally perfected, or perfect, not perfected. He, if to be perfected, you and I are being perfected because we've gone from unholy to holy, but he is always holy. So, so let me say this. He is not subject to a moral standard. So you and I can have a moral standard. That moral standard is God. And so we are in contrast to God, his moral and his holiness. There is no moral standard that we judge God by. He is the moral standard, right? It all emanates from who he is, his nature, his character. Thank God for Jesus today because I know some of you are saying, Pastor, I don't, feel, I don't feel holy. But our holiness in positionally is in Christ, right? Positionally it's in Christ. But experientially it's when we choose to live a life that's pleasing to God through Christ. And so it's not one without the other. And the church seems to celebrate one, you're holy in Christ. But I'm telling you, your holiness must be lived out in Christ so that others can see. But I want to tell you, here's something that I want to see is our motivation for holiness. I want you, it's, how do you know sometimes it's just all in about the way you look at it? Sometimes we don't see it the right way because we're not looking at it through the right lens. So let me tell you, there's a motivation for holiness. And it can be the fear of God. I thank God I will never shriek away, uh, shrink back from the fear of God. Right? I need it. I, I, I need the fear of God. But let me tell you what your motive, motive, motivation could be. 
as the think about Israel, the holy one true God. Think about that. Paul's right there. I don't care how many idols are in this world. There could be a billion idols. There is one God. Did you know there are thousands of nations in the earth even to this day? But God chose Israel. So when you think about it, it depends upon how you choose to look at it. Israel could see that God chose them, separated them, and instructed them through the Levitical law. Paul's bring it to you. So with you. <laughs> I want you. It's all about motivation to do what God desires. What moves you today? You know why I move? Because I didn't find him. He found me. And he chose me, and he pulled me out of my old Adamic sin nature, delivered me from the bondage of sin, and he called me his own. He said, if you'll just walk before me, I'll be your father, and you'll be my son. And so I get up every day saying, God, I want to be pleasing to you, and I want to walk holy before God because I'm motivated by that relationship. Are you all out there today? And if you can see God that way, he said, be ye holy because I'm holy. Then it changes everything. It changes everything. Then you're not afraid of the commandments of God. You're not afraid to challenge your heart. You're not afraid that when you read something, you go, whoa, it says that in the book. I'm sorry, I've been doing that for 30 years now. And once that illumination takes place in your heart and life, you are honored to be able to mortify that part of your life or to put it away or set it aside. Because you set it aside because your desire is to be holy and walk before him in holiness and in grace every day of your life. That's the call of God in our heart and life. Last passage. Would the apostle Peter say what I just said? Well, let's find out today. In closing, 1 Peter 1. Aaron, are you my man on the keyboards today? I, don't, I didn't bring my phone, so I didn't know what time. That's good. We've got dinner in the back. 1 Peter 1, let's read it. The Apostle Peter. Wait, let's pause. Let's go back. Let's go back. So I have had you on a journey. Chelsea, I'm sorry you've been, you were with the kids. You don't get to hear this, but maybe you go back and listen. I've had them for weeks now following the history of the children of Israel. We went all the way back to a bulrush basket, and the daughter of Pharaoh took out this crying baby that she called him Moses because he was drawn from the water. We took him from Pharaoh's court and we sent him to the backside of the Midian Desert where on a fateful day a bush began to burn and he had a conversation with the one true and holy living God who was sending him back to Egypt to deliver the people of God. And we've been journeying with them in this journey up until this time right here. And now we're being confronted by something that nobody seems to want to talk about. But it may be more important than anything that we do or we have previously talked about. Because God said... I'm holy, be ye holy, positionally and experientially. If you're in Christ, you're there positionally. But if you're living in sin, you're not there experientially. And you're sowing to the flesh. And I came along to warn you, the land will spew you out. Are you hearing me today? So here, in this final one, I made this. I, I made this to uh, kind of analogy to start the sermon what if Peter could be here I know some of you are saying Paul 
would have preached just like you. He preached till midnight one time until everybody was falling out in the service. So I know you're thinking, yeah, Pastor, you're pretty close to that today. Obviously, if I've preached this long on a day like this, it must mean something in my heart. That I, that, that I pillowed my head in faith before God, and I challenged myself, and I brought conviction to my own heart, and I brought reproof to my own lifestyle, and I, and I, and I said, God, it's my responsibility to teach the difference. But what about if I'm walking in error myself? So the sermon's got to be for me first to filter to you. And I'm telling you, it is, it's, my heart's been heavy. Now, I've been grateful because every step that I take towards what I would call true holiness, I'm telling you, I feel, feels the wrong word. There's a sense of gratitude. There's a sense of, of satisfaction. Because, you know, the world, the world has nothing for us. Right? It's fading. Right? But he has everything. He is everything. So I used this analogy. I said, if Paul or Peter were here, would they preach from Leviticus the way I'm preaching from Leviticus? Well, let's read. We've been reading the writings. So far, I'm going to say I'm four for four. I've had some shooting nights in days gone by when I was a basketball player that I would celebrate a four for four night. That would be a good night. Can I go five for five? I, I said this. I said, it says in Leviticus that Moses heard the Lord say this, and he told the people, I'm holy, be ye holy. But is that relevant to the church today? Well, what about the apostle Peter? The one that Jesus said, Peter, upon this rock I'm going to build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What did he have to say? If he were here in the flesh... Would he be wearing a black shirt like I am that says, A.G.? I don't know about all that, but let's see what he said. Let's read just four verses of Scripture in closing. Gird up the loins of your mind. <laughs> be sober in all areas. And hope to the end for the grace that is brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Notice the fact, where's this taken from? First Peter, the epistle of, the peace of Peter. Let's read this 14th verse. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. You can't live like the Canaanites. You can't live like the Egyptians. You got to fashion your life differently. 15th verse. But as he which has called you, I don't know, looks like a five for five day today to me. As he which has called you is holy, be holy in all manner. Now, conversation in old English is not you and I conversing. It's your lifestyle. It's your experiential lifestyle. Be holy where? All manner of conversation. Verse 16. Because it is written. I'm going to just say it today. I'm going to say, if Peter had been here this morning, he might have looked over this crowd and said, this is an awesome group of men and women, the way I tell you every time we come together. And I especially noted some of the ladies today in their fall colors look absolutely stunning today. Men, you're looking scraggly like always, but we're going to move on. But if he could be here today, I would dare say 
he would say, you know what? Heber Springs First Assembly, I want to talk to you about something. I want to talk to you about holiness. I believe that he would. I believe that he would. And it's as relevant to us today as it was when the apostle penned those words. Be holy because God is holy. That's why you don't do the thing. You don't do some of the things that you used to do because of condemnation or guilt. You do these because God is so holy and he called you out of that darkness and you want to walk pleasing to him. And it becomes a part of who you are. If our church is going through a redefining moment, and I believe that we are, I'll tell you what, you know what I'm going to determine in my heart? I want to be pleasing to the Lord. I want to perfect holiness in the sight of God. Come on. The Lord is holy. Come on, somebody say it with me. Sister Sherry got it right. The Lord is holy. He's holy today, isn't he? Do you not feel him today? What I want to challenge you in your heart, study these things out, look closer at them, open your heart and your life, let the Lord deal with you in ways that if the Lord shifts your life in any way, let him do it. Just let him do it. Let him have his way. I'm telling you, you'll feel, uh, feel is the wrong word, but you, you'll, you'll have a sense in your heart and life of completion because you were created for holiness. He said, perfect holiness in the fear of God. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us perfect holiness in the fear of God. That's the word of faith for you and I today. Our heads bowed and our eyes closed for a moment of time. Take a moment to search your heart. Within the next 10 minutes, people are going to be in line. They're going to be in the back. There'll be laughter. There'll be handshakes and hugs. But the next 10 minutes is a moment of time that God gives us for this word to take just a, perhaps just an initial route. It's not the end. God is holy. What does that mean to you? What does it mean? Can you work out that in your own faith? Can you come to terms that there's a living God who's holy? He's so sacred. He's so set apart. And yet he loved you enough to not leave you in the filth of this world. He came to you meek and lowly in the person of Christ to redeem you from sin and draw you to himself so that you could be his children. The text that I read to open said, he said, I will be your father and you'll be my children. Is there anybody under the sound of my voice today that says, Pastor Brown, today, I've known about God. I've known a little bit of the doctrine of God. I've definitely used the term or the word God Maybe you even used it in vain, cursing it. But you came into this house today, and this pastor's preached to you a little bit of one of God's most clearly defined attributes. He's holy, and our response to his holiness. Maybe your heart has grown convicted today, not condemned, but you just, something is not right. You're not at peace with God. You're not 
You just don't have that confidence. You don't really know him as Father. If you're here today and that's you, I would pray with you right where you're at. If that's you, say, Pastor, I know about God, but I don't know this holy God that you preached about today. Pastor Brown, what can I do about that? Will you believe? You believe. I'll pray with you right where you're at. If there's anyone under the sound of my voice, slip your hand up so I'll know that you want me to pray with you. I'll pray with you in this room today. Is there anyone here today? Secondly, today, would everybody to stand up with me today in closing? God is holy. What does that mean to you? What work will be done in your heart and life? I'm going to go back in the Family Life Center with the rest of you, and I'm going to smile, and I'm going to have laughter, and I'm going to hopefully encourage somebody along the way, and I'll definitely, hopefully receive a hug from somebody maybe that I hadn't received a hug from. But in the back of my mind, I'm going to be wondering, what does this message mean to you? What will you do with it? What will you do with it today? Will you forget it before you even get home? Or will you be confronted by it in the course of your week that God is holy and he called me out of darkness? So therefore, I want to live a life that's pleasing to him. I believe that's where you're going to be at. I believe that you're going to say, I'm not going to be afraid of this subject. I, I, I want to walk in holiness. I believe it should be something that you'll start praying. You'll start when your prayer time, you'll say, Father, God, let me be holy because you're holy. And let me walk in holiness in a way that pleases you. And that becomes a part of your prayer on a daily basis. And then things that maybe you have looked at before or listened to or said or relationships that you had, all of a sudden, the Spirit of God inside of you starts saying, you were set apart from that and you start shifting your life just a little bit come on you know we have something in our automobiles called a radio with a channel and you can turn the channel just a little bit right how many know sometimes as Christians you got to turn the channel a little bit you got to tweak it just a little bit you got to move off of where you've been and move on because God's calling you the holy God's calling you let's pray a prayer of dedication to the Lord today. You pray with me. You pray with me today as a fellowship. No one raised their hand. No one said that I don't know the Lord. Whether you do or not, I cannot say, but everybody here is professing that they know the Lord. So with that said, let's pray about this subject. Holiness, holiness, holiness to the Lord. Father, today as a fellowship, I pray that each of us will take these matters to heart. That we will look intently into your word. We will see and learn more about sin nature. We'll learn more about the sins of the flesh. We'll learn more about, Father God, the craving desires of the flesh. So that we, by the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of us, we will mortify those ungodly desires so that we can walk before you in holiness. In every conversation, in every manner of life, in every way. What we say, what we do, how we act, how we react. The people we run with, the things we watch, the things we listen to. What we do in this body, 
what we do to this body. Come on, somebody. Know ye not that your body is the temple of the, of the Holy Spirit? So God, I pray that this message taken from the book of Leviticus is going to mark this church family deeply, deeply. And we will have more than just positional holiness. We'll have experiential holiness where we will walk in true holiness before the Lord. Help us, God. That's my prayer. Help me, Lord. Come on, who will pray that with me? Lord, help me. Give me strength to live a life that's pleasing to you. Lord, as we go back to this room, I want to thank you for the people who've labored. Come on, this is our Thanksgiving-themed meal. Let's take a moment. Lord, we're thankful for your many blessings. We're thankful for our families. We're thankful for our church family. We're thankful for the privileged opportunity to share a fellowship meal together. Let our hearts be knit together as we share this meal together today. We receive the meal with thanksgiving. Come on, somebody. We receive it with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. And all God's children said amen and amen. If you received anything from the Lord, I can't apologize for being a long-winded preacher. Love somebody. Hug somebody. Tell somebody you appreciate them. You're going to walk in holiness. It says on the screen, thanks for joining us.